Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Hawaii Kai Church, and thank you for joining us in worship. And at this time, I invite you to take out your Bible or a Bible underneath the chair in front of you and turn to the book of Luke. We're in Luke chapter 5 and verse 12 as we continue our study through the book of Luke. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16 is our passage today. And that passage can be found on page 861 if you are using a church Bible. Page 861. Luke chapter 5 and verse 12. But before we look at our text, would you please join me in prayer? Uh, Father, we thank you for this time of worship and that we can gather together as a church family, and, and we ask you that at this time you would speak to us in your word, and that you would encourage us, that you would show us how much it is that you love us. Uh, by the Holy Spirit, God, would you help us grow? Would you bring us close to you? And would you show us, God, the glory of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, just his worth and his value? We ask these things in his name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> In the opening chapters of the book of Luke, and, and really from the very outset of Jesus' public ministry, there has been an utter distinction between Jesus and everyone else. There's, there's a massive difference between what he is doing from anything that the people have ever seen in their entire lives. From the very moment Jesus begins to open his mouth, there's a, a gravity and an authority to his preaching. That unlike the scribes and rabbis and preachers of the day, there is a weight to his words that the scriptures themselves speak about him. And Jesus has this power over sickness. He heals an entire town's ill population within a single evening. That power is undeniable. Jesus has authority over the demonic realm that even the anti-God, unclean spirits, they must acknowledge him and they must obey him. Whether they like it or not, they can no longer bring the harm that they want to bring when Jesus is in the room. And Jesus has most recently demonstrated his power over the sea and its creatures that at his word, career fishermen who had tried their best and caught not a single fish after an entire night of effort, these same fishermen in the same lake have their nets ripping and their boats sinking because of the weight of how many fish they had just caught when Jesus tells them to let down their nets just one more time. The opening of Jesus' public ministry sounds like a bunch of tall tales, which is precisely the point, because there is no way anyone could explain what it is that is happening outside of the supernatural. Jesus is demonstrating again and again that he is not just anybody, but he is the Son of God. And, and the response from the people and the crowds has ranged pretty significantly. We have seen on one hand this outright rejection of Jesus, even in his hometown. Uh, a murderous anger even, that the people there want to kill Jesus by throwing him off of a cliff because they didn't like it when he challenged them. On the other hand, there's been this buzzing interest where Jesus, even on the beach, is getting mobbed by people to the point where he needs to get into a boat and go out into the water so that he could preach to the crowds. We've seen an abject and broken humility. 
where after witnessing the miracle catch, one of the fishermen in that boat with Jesus, Simon Peter, he falls at Jesus' feet, confessing his own sin and dread of even being in the presence of the Lord. And it is in our text this morning that we have yet another response to Jesus from an individual who is on the very fringe of society. In fact, it is these next three passages in the book of Luke that we find Jesus interacting with the very people on the outside looking in, the outcasts, so to speak, the bottom rung of the social ladder. And in these texts, we understand more and more about the very heart of the Son of God and not just his authority and his power, but his heart. We read in verse 12, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We have in this opening verse a man most miserable and pitiable, who yet exhibits a strong and a very bold faith. This is a person you'd never want to switch places in life with, someone you wouldn't even want to walk a single mile in his shoes. And in spite of all of this, he still demonstrates a belief that so much of the crowd never arrives at. Luke states here that this man is full of leprosy, which means that this isn't some kind of nominal skin condition that would fall under the greater umbrella and category of leprosy, which included a variety of skin ailments. But Luke, the doctor, is identifying this man as having the very worst of it. His body is full of it. And this kind of leprosy is really a, a pretty fascinating infectious illness. For what may start off as a seemingly small and insignificant spot of dead skin or lesion can grow and grow gradually and very painfully until the body is full of it. The most extreme forms of leprosy are most famous because of how disfigured it can leave the person infected. Sores and rashes and bumps and swellings and deformities that would often leave the infected person's face unrecognizable. Leprosy in some cases would even impact the vocal cords as it spread throughout the throat, which means a leper wouldn't even sound like himself anymore. And so you wouldn't look like yourself. You wouldn't sound like yourself. You are losing your own identity to leprosy. And as the infection continues to spread, vision loss could sometimes occur, bone weakening, issues with the cartilage and even the teeth. And there was no medical treatment for it in the ancient world. And it would be after all of these painful changes that the damage to the nerves could eventually cause a loss of feeling, especially in the body's extremities. Leprosy attacks the nerves to make a person numb and lose that sensitivity. So the movement would be from painful swelling to no sensation in your hands or your feet at all, eliminating the body's ability to feel. Fingers and toes, no siren of pain. And so lepers would literally rub their fingertips off and shred the bottoms of their feet because they could unknowingly walk over thorns or grip things just too hard because they didn't have that warning system of sensation. Lepers would more likely react to the smell of their flesh being burnt than the actual feel of their skin on fire. And so leprosy to this degree is a very cruel disease because so much of the damage is self-inflicted. And so physically speaking, the disease is painful until there's no pain, disfiguring and severely damaging to the body. But the physical deformities and body trauma, that is just part of the equation because in most societies throughout history and especially in ancient Palestine where our text occurs, 
Leprosy would expel you into the outskirts and forbid you from coming close to anybody, even the ones you love and the ones who love you. There needed to be this distance to prevent contagion. You had to be quarantined. You know, some of you know a little bit about what that means because of COVID. Some of us in this room had to be quarantined for 10 to 14 days away from family and friends and life as you know it. Leprosy to this degree is much, much worse than that because for a man like this one in our text, his condition only got more severe and so there's no light at the end of the tunnel, no 14-day deadline. And as he does worsen, this man would likely be relegated to begging and be limited to only interacting with other lepers in a similar condition, hoping and searching for some kind of cave to find shelter and get any kind of relief. This man would have long ago had to say goodbye to family, even a wife or children, parents and friends. Imagine never being able to bounce your child on your knee or hold their little hand inside of your hands or hug your beloved within your arms or laugh with your friends like things were normal. Leprosy destroyed relationships, even the closest kinds. But what would make this ailment even worse is that it was generally regarded as a consequence for some kind of sinful behavior. You're being cursed with leprosy. This is divine retribution and judgment because of some wickedness in your life. This leprosy is proof. This is the outward expression that you have some kind of inward corruption. So this is a poetic justice leper. You're getting exactly what it is that you deserve, and so there wouldn't be much mercy at all or compassion, or sympathy for the one full of it, because the worse you got, obviously that means the worse of a person you actually are, and the more frequent the stares of scorn and contempt. And so people would avoid you like the plague and not give you a second thought, because you are just reaping what you have sowed. Even the Old Testament law, quarantine lepers from regular society, likely to preserve people from contagion, the book of Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46, commands people like the guy in our text that the leper shall well wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Uh, this is the most miserable and humiliating existence you could come up with, which also means that the leper was not only far away from friends and family and from regular society, but also away and distance from the ability to worship God with the rest of his people. Now, what hope would this man have? There had only been one that I can think of miraculous healing of this kind of leprosy in the entire Old Testament. This man's condition would be categorized as incurable, hopeless, devastating physically, socially, relationally, spiritually. And so this is a person you would never want to switch places in life with. Someone you wouldn't even want to walk a single mile in his shoes. This is misery and the most pitiable of existences. Some in the first century called leprosy a living death. And yet it is that in spite of it all, this very same man demonstrates a belief and a bold and a strong faith. This is a man who, if he even came near a town of people, would probably have people throwing rocks at him. Get out of here, you leper. 
And yet upon hearing about the ministry of Jesus, listening to recaps about Jesus preaching the kingdom of God and how he heals the sick and the fact that demons must bend the knee and the fish of the sea jump into fishing nets at the sound of Jesus' voice, this man full of leprosy takes the decisive step into approaching this man, Jesus. And the text says that this occurs in one of the cities where this man is not supposed to be anywhere near. And so you can imagine the gasp of horror as this leper, raw and swollen from head to toe, everyone knew what he is. There's no denying his wretched condition. He makes his way towards Jesus. And he falls on his face begging him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. In this man's mind, there isn't a single doubt that Jesus can make him clean. Now, this is a very bold belief. Again, I can only think of Naaman in the entire Old Testament cured of leprosy. And so even if word did get out that Jesus is healing fevers and casting out demons, this is still a big jump from hearing about those things and curing a man like myself, but in this man's mind, if Jesus is doing these things, Jesus is the one who can make a disfigured, disheveled, unclean, devastated, rejected outsider like me, Jesus can make me clean. The power is not the problem. My only concern and my only question is, is Jesus willing is he willing to make someone like me clean? The man doesn't even beg, can you heal my leprosy? For he knows that physical healing is just a fraction of his predicament. He believes Jesus' power and authority. The only question is Jesus' heart. And at his feet, his posture is such that his confession to Jesus is, my entire future rests upon you. Think about this man's life and what he's experienced. Jeers, mocking, physical attack. Stay away from me, you leper. Why are you even here? Why do you even exist? You should just die. You have nothing to offer. It's not like this guy has lived a very charmed life where he regularly benefits from the goodwill of other people. He has to, in doing this, cast aside the fear of other people's opinions. You know, a lot of people will not come to Jesus because they're afraid of what their friends or family might think. They're embarrassed to come to Jesus. This man is so much bolder than that that the hating crowd means nothing to him as long as he can get near to Jesus. And there's not an ounce of presumption, just informed hope. He is poor in spirit, broken in heart, offering nothing, but knowing that if there's anyone who can help me, it is this man, Jesus. This is faith. This is belief. I mean, isn't this how we must all come to Jesus? With nothing to offer but our own sinful, unclean selves, feeling our own need and desperation, not caring what anyone else thinks. And all we can do is kneel and submit to the will of Christ. And then it is that we see the heart of our Savior in these next set of verses. Verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest 
and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. We find here the very heart of Jesus. We find here our Lord and our Savior touching the untouchable and making the unclean clean. Jesus is willing. The book of Mark tells us that he is moved with pity. Really, his heart at this moment is filled with compassion and sympathy in a way that this man has never felt from anyone else. Now, Jesus at his very word can yield, and Jesus at his word can control the fish of the sea, and Jesus at his word can expel the unclean spirits from their influence upon humanity. And so Jesus could have been six feet, bro. I can heal you from over here just by talking. You're a little bit nasty. I can heal you with just a word. Stay back over there. Or you didn't even have to use a word. He could have said, remember Elisha told Naaman to go wash in the Jordan? I'm going to tell you the same thing. Go wash in the Jordan. You're going to be clean. This man would have rejoiced. But Jesus chooses at this point to touch the untouchable. The shunned he gets this close to. The expelled he gets this near to so that this man might feel the softness of his touch even upon his own rotting skin and the watching crowd would have recoiled in disgust even the leper would have recoiled in disgust you can't do that you don't know how filthy i am jesus and yet it is that the heart of our savior is such that he turns to the very one who everyone else turns away from. He comes close to that one no one else wants to come close to. Now, this text is not primarily about leprosy and dermatological disorders any more than Jesus' last miracle was about fishing. The great catch of net-busting, boat-sinking fish was merely the illustration of what Jesus is going to call his disciples to do, which is go fish for people. And the disciples would proclaim Jesus in the very near future and reel people in, into the kingdom of God. And at the end of the day, our text this morning is not about skin conditions or infectious illnesses, but this is an illustration that points to a much deeper reality. Because, brothers and sisters, we are the true lepers. And yet it is that our disease is so much more damaging. It's not on our skin, it's in our hearts. Our sinfulness has ravaged us. And, and what may have started off as something seemingly small and insignificant, this is just a little white lie. This is just a small sin. It can spread and spread and devastate us and eat us away. Sin spreads. Lust spreads. Greed spreads. Anger can take you completely over. Bitterness can rot you from the inside out, and sin only becomes more and more serious, and it can cause us to lose our feeling and sear our consciences and numb us from understanding just how much we are actually damaging ourselves. And sin separates you from God and separates you from other people. It destroys relationships, even your closest ones. And we can banish ourselves away from the presence of God and away from genuine relationships of real love. Sin separates always and desires to kill all of the time. And it can get so quickly to a point where all hope seems to be lost. 
But we don't always feel our sinfulness like this man feels his leprosy. We don't always feel the desperation of our condition. Who will free me from this body of death? This leper has an advantage on us in many ways. This man with rotting flesh and open sores could never deny that something is wrong with me. He never didn't feel his condition. He never was without true desperation. But it is with us that we can so easily be blind to our sin and our true need and never desperately seek out the only cure. And yet the mirror of Scripture is such that what is so blatantly obvious about the leper can be used to bring out what is less obvious within each of us. It gives us a look at ourselves through the eyes of God's holiness, and we see our horrible disfigurement of the image of God and our desperate need of grace. Some of us in this room have been far from God for a long time and not even notice it because we're so used to that distance. Some of us in this room have been destroying ourselves through habitual sin and giving our hearts away to anyone and anything else other than the Lord. Some of us have been destroying our relationships, even the ones who love you most, because we just refuse to repent or acknowledge the issue, and we definitely refuse to change. And many of us are just reaping in our own lives the pain which we have sown and maybe have lost that sense of joy and hope and purpose. And this text is showing to you right now that you are not too far gone. You're not. If you would, but only see how desperately it is you need Jesus and how horrifying your condition really is, and come to him no matter what the watching world thinks about you, no matter what your family and friends think, you come to Jesus boldly, you come to Christ humbly, and you lay at his feet and say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Because that's what you want more than anything else. Then Jesus Christ will make you clean. He doesn't turn anyone away, no matter how wretched your condition might be. He doesn't turn anyone away. If we will not know Jesus, it's not because there's reluctance on his side. It's only on our side. You know, for those of you who are new to the church or you might be just getting interested into Christianity, this is not a, a religion of look at what I can do. And look at what I can accomplish and how many new pages I can turn and how many resolutions I can stack up. Faith in Jesus Christ is not about what we can offer him or how we can become better people so that we can get into heaven. No, Christianity is such that we know we can never get in on our own merits. We can never be good enough for Christ to accept us. We willingly confess we're the spiritual lepers we can never earn our way into heaven. Somebody else must make us clean because our sinful flesh is too much for us to bear on our own, but our God is not some distant foreign God indifferent to what is happening in each of our lives. 
And our God is not some stern disciplinarian dad who is annoyed of us and wants us to grovel for the rest of our days just to prove that we understand how bad we really are. No, our God wants to bring us close to himself. And he shows us his heart in Jesus Christ. This is the Lord becoming human condescension without ceasing to be God so that he might understand us and so that we might understand just how close he wants to get to us, to touch the untouchable, to feel the broken, to understand our pain for himself. And while it usually is that the unclean contaminates the clean, if this leper started touching people, they can't even go to the synagogue anymore. And while it usually is that the unclean contaminates the clean, we find Jesus' power to clean is much greater than the power of leprosy or the power of sin to contaminate. For the cure here is immediate. For as soon as the Lord wills, it is done. And the cure for our sin is not simply with a touch by Jesus, but it involves Jesus to die upon a cross for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God, which is due to us, a wrath which we have earned by denying him. And yet when he cries out his word, it is finished. It is truly finished. For that bloodshed washes away all of our sin. And it is there that we lose all of our guilty stains. He makes us new. He makes us clean. Can you imagine the visual ear of the leprosy leaving this man? His eyes looking down on his own ripped clothing, his own open sores and ulcers, and in a matter of moments, all these wounds being engulfed by clean skin spreading. The scabs fall off and are gone, and his hands and feet restored to what they used to be. And grabbing his own face, he could feel who he is again. And within his own body, know that this Jesus, he has rescued me. It's the same in salvation, brothers and sisters. We can be who we were meant to be. The wounds of sin can be healed, and its scars define us no more. This is omnipotence shown forth in the cleansing of even the worst of impurities, and this is the heart of our Savior, brothers and sisters. And we can't ever forget that. For whenever you feel too dirty to come back to Jesus, take a look at this leper and come back to Jesus. For no one is ever too filthy to come to Christ. And so we see in these verses the very heart of our Savior towards the most unclean of people. But before we move on to the next verse, I want you to notice a little bit of foreshadowing right here. Jesus strictly commands this cleansed man to go show himself to the priest according to the law of Moses, according to the word of God. Now, now these priests were likely the same people who diagnosed this man as being a leper full of leprosy. They were likely the same people who quarantined this guy from community and then checked him again for progress, only found themselves getting worse and worse, and they would have made that call to banish him from society. But now they would have seen something they had never seen in their entire lives, that this same man is back and his body is altogether different, and his skin is restored, and this would have been a proof to them, the spiritual leadership of the nation, that God is doing something in their midst that is altogether undeniable. 
This is their alarm bell ringing for the one they have been waiting for. For the word of God is preached with authority. Demons are retreating. The sick are healed. Fish obey their maker. And even the worst kind of leper is being made clean. This is God's proof and message to the leadership of the nation that he has visited his people. And yet we already know the end of the story. We know what they're going to do. We know that they are going to be the very ones who want Jesus crucified. That will be their response to Jesus. And therefore, they are without excuse. What we are beginning to see is that even though the demons can confess the identity of Jesus, it is the spiritual gurus who will not. Verse 15, we'll continue and we'll close with this. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities, but he with, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We have here the, the visual of large crowds and a massive following, that the more people hear about Jesus, the more they mob him. And yet Jesus always seems to deliver in his preaching and in his healing. He's not a 15-minute sensation. This is what most people would categorize as success. This is what most church growth gurus would call revival, that the larger the crowd and the more people following means you must be doing something right. And the hype is now publicized by this case of a leper being clean. The hype is realized. And it's usually the case that when most of us are successful, that that is when we forget the Lord. Uh, we quickly cry out when someone we love is sick or when our own bodies are failing us. We're constantly beseeching God when we lose a job or lose a place to stay. We pray the most when there's some kind of drama that's out of our control. We find ourselves on our hands and knees when we come to the end of ourselves, but we do not usually find ourselves on our hands and our knees when we are experiencing success and everything is all good. And the temptation here for Jesus is an echo of the temptation Jesus felt in the wilderness being targeted by the devil. Go ahead, Jesus, stroke your ego. Fan that vanity. Fall in love with the hype. Love the applause. Be intoxicated with how much the people love you and want you and follow you and hang on your every word. Maybe this is a better way to usher in your kingdom. Jesus would have been tempted with the thoughts, I'm too good to die for these people. You know what? My days of touching lepers are over. I'm too good to be with the unclean. I need an entourage around me protecting me all the time. I think it's becoming more and more obvious that I am above hanging upon a cross. Jesus could have loved himself at great cost to us, but Jesus would consistently withdraw from the crowds and the hype and go into places where he could be alone and pray to the Father and recalibrate so that the Son of God might commune with the Father and be rejuvenated for the mission at hand. And we all need to do the same thing. Dale Ralph Davis, he, he writes this, could we say Jesus felt compelled to withdraw and pray because the situation proved a danger to his own soul? Jesus, knowing the danger of such moments, went off by himself and gave himself to private prayer. You know, oftentimes it is that the cross we're called to carry, when our egos are stroked and our vanity is fanned, we put that cross down, 
success is oftentimes more a danger to us than anything else. But here we find Jesus pressing on, not living for the applause or the approval of the crowd, but he continues on the road to Calvary, for he has but one purpose in his mind, and that is to be rejected by all and die upon the cross for the ones that he loves. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. And when most of us would seize the opportunity to love ourselves at great cost to someone else, Jesus loves us instead at the greatest cost to himself. Brothers and sisters, no one loves you more than Jesus. No one. No one loves you more than the Father who sent Jesus. No one loves you more than the Holy Spirit who convicts you of these truths. No one loves you more than God loves you. And sometimes we need to let that sink in more and more and commune with our God and take up our cross and follow him. Would you please pray with me? Father, we thank you for your great love and your sympathetic mercy and your compassion and your amazing grace that when you look upon us and you see us way more clear than we can see ourselves, you see every imperfection, every impurity, every sin, every wrong motive, you see it all and yet you pursue us, God. Thank you for being a God of great love. And we ask, God, that in response, we would love you with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and with all of our strength. And that you would make us people who love our neighbor as ourselves. I pray, God, that you would make our little church family a beacon of light so that the watching world might understand the heart of your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that his heart would become our heart more and more. Would you give us perspective and teach us to number our days? Would you give us a great joy and a powerful sense of purpose and hope so that we might live unto you with all of our might? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.